Outside the Tank is not affiliated with Shark Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. And I'm hungry. So, <laughs> I, I, Joe, I, I can't believe this, but for those that watch us on YouTube... This is the eighth straight week we have walked into the office wearing the exact same outfit. I know, it's crazy. Um, I mean, no, I still got another week in, on this uh, polo shirt, I think. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> film, we film a few of these at a time, let you behind the scenes. So this is the final one we're doing in this shoot. We're inside our studios in our office. We've upgraded our audio our video, we, we actually have had this studio since we started doing the show, but we never used it because we didn't want to walk down the hall. And so we got yelled at we by did. Alex Bayer of Genius Juice. Yeah. Alex said, you guys need to freshen up your audio. Hey, Alex, we don't tell you what to put in your juice. <laughs> no, we love Alex. Alex was our first episode ever. First guest, yes. Friend, friend of the show, and uh, we, we so appreciate him. We're just messing around. But he, he held us accountable to using the microphone we already had, <laughs> using the camera we already had, using the studio we already had, and using the lighting we already had. He's yeah. like, oh, you got to get this and this. Like, Alex, we have all of it. We just didn't feel like walking down the damn hallway. We're just busy. Yeah, we're busy. We're entrepreneurs. <laughs> this is not our full-time job. Uh, a co-hosting outside the tank is not what we do full-time. What do we do full-time, Joe? We help entrepreneurs find great peer advisory groups, mastermind groups. We, we put them in small groups of like-minded people, other kick-ass entrepreneurs that are rapidly scaling so they can share you know, their issues or challenges, problems, decisions, and get great feedback and input. And we also help... Uh, very, very seasoned entrepreneurs that have a great deal of wisdom over a number of years, probably uh, a successful exit or two. We help them build and facilitate great peer groups. Ah, we love what we do. We love helping entrepreneurs. We love working with talented people and helping them help entrepreneurs. So uh, Tom at Growth10.com, Joe at Growth10.com, if uh, either joining a group with other entrepreneurs sounds interesting or you want to share your wisdom and expertise and uh, put together a group of entrepreneurs that you can mentor and help scale faster. So yeah, we're, we'll, uh, we'll, teach, we'll teach you how to do it. We will teach you how to do it. That's what we do. So let's talk about our entrepreneur today. Uh, David, Just the Cheese Snack Bars, mm -hmm. Season 11, Episode 19, uh, air date of April 10th of 2020. So we've actually got some Just the Cheese Snack Bars here in studio, and he built this business out of Madison, Wisconsin. Joe just confiscated the uh, snack bars from me. You're going to eat them while we're doing this? What time is it? Lunchtime. Exactly. Oh, you're hungry. Okay. Yeah. Well, you'll eat them while I'm talking, and you tell okay. everyone what you think of these things. I've okay. had them before. I don't think you have. I love these things, by the way. Okay. First bite, what do you think? Crunchy. Okay. Cheesy. I love cheese, by the way. Really good. They are. Really, really good. Yeah, I've had them before. You. That's your first time, though, right? They're, are they healthy? 
very healthy. There's no carbs in them. Um, so 75 calories per bar, super clean. It's just cheese. There's not a bunch of breading or filling in there. Not loaded with a bunch of sugar. They're, they're super healthy. They're great. Uh, one of the healthiest, like, just between-meal snacks you can have. They're really, really good. Can you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I can, actually. Oh. All right, so <laughs> you keep eating. They, they're making these things in Madison, Wisconsin. So if I'm going to buy a cheese bar, I want it coming from Madison, Wisconsin, not from, you know, like, New Hampshire or something. So I trust these guys. They're what cheese, are you bagging on New Hampshire for? Well, I don't, I, I don't, want, my, I don't <laughs> want my cheese bars from there. So they're actually a family cheese company. And then David had the vision of we should make bars. We should, you know, create this product. So they invested over a million dollars into this business. Um, he comes into Shark Tank asking 500000 for 5%, which is a $10 million valuation. Uh, at the time of airing, they're selling, or at the time of filming, 400 to 700 boxes per day on Amazon, which is just crazy. Now, get this. Their first year in business, they did $3.5 million in sales. That's unbelievable. I mean, this isn't some really big yeah. you know, company or this isn't Nabisco or something. I mean, this is just a family um, that's, you know, in the dairy business in Madison, Wisconsin. It's just incredible. Um, at the time of recording, $0.95 cents to make one, $1.27 wholesale, $1.99 retail. So that's what I have. Did we get a deal or not? It was interesting. Uh, uh, Mr. Wonderful Kevin stepped up uh, early and he offered uh, 500000 but it was a royalty deal. He wanted $0.20 uh, cents per, per item or per bag. Uh, Robert went out pretty quickly. He went out fast. He, he actually hated Kevin's offer, <laughs> kind of steered, steered David off of it. Uh, Daniel just likened it to a kind bar and didn't seem to have any interest. Lori really liked the packaging, but she thought it was a really crowded uh, space. Uh, and Cuban thought there wasn't enough ROI in it for the, for the risk. But Cuban came back in at 500000 a late offer for 15%, which mm. would have whacked his valuation uh, by two-thirds. And there was no deal. There was a little bit of disappointment there, but there was no deal. But then there's the rest of the story. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to our interview with David. All right. We are here with Just the Cheese, David Scarfman out of Madison, Wisconsin. David, welcome to Outside the Tank. Hey, how you doing, man? All right. Well, we are, we're pumped to dig into this. We just watched your pitch. And, uh, I mean, it was fast and furious, uh, even for Shark Tank. There was, there was just a lot going on. So what was the uh, experience like for you? Just up on the stage or the whole process? Oh, everything, the whole process. So the, the whole process was just a – it was just kind of surreal that, you know, like, all right, so you put your application in. And when you submit, you don't really think that you're going to get it. So it's like, yeah, whatever. And then they're like, no, no, we want you to do more. Here is a giant stack of paperwork to fill out and do a, like an audition tape, like another audition where you kind of demo your pitch. And so like, it doesn't feel like it's worth it because you still don't really think that you're going to get to be on the show. But you still have to do all the work. 
And then as it gets kind of more real and you realize like, oh yeah, they, they, when you make that first cut, there's a lot of people that don't even get there. And then like right up until the last minute, you're sort of like, well, like, well, if we fly you out and if we do this and if we do that, and then all of a sudden they're like, all right, we're going to book you a ticket out to LA, get ready. Um, <laughs> then it so becomes the, real, right? Yeah, like once you're, once they buy a ticket for you and they're like explaining, okay, so here's your small per diem for food and here's the hotel you're staying. It's like, oh, wow. Like, oh no, this is, this is actually happening. Um, and, you know, for me, I've, I, I'm fortunate enough that I've, this is not my first startup. I've pitched to investors before, you know, like I own the business, so I know everything about it. The part that I was the least nervous about was actually like the, the back and forth with the sharks. Um, you know, the part that I was nervous about is the scripted 60 second pitch at the beginning, wearing a ridiculous outfit. And it's like, you know, you screw that up. It's the one part that's definitely going to be on TV. <laughs> and you know, I don't, I, I don't really like going on script. So it was just like, oh man, don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. So I just ended up repeating. I just kept saying it out loud until I had it by memory and could just do it with my eyes closed. So, yeah. And then once I got up on stage and finished that first minute, I just sort of took a deep breath and relaxed and was like, all right, this will be fun. I just get to talk about my business. Well, now, one of the things that I recognize from your pitch, David, is that you had uh, copped out to them that you had obviously grown up in the family business there in Madison, Wisconsin. Your parents, uh, owned a cheese company, but you had, do I understand correctly that you had a couple of failed tries? Yeah. So I've start. this is my fourth startup. Um, and I've had one, one success, one failure, one kind of break even push. Um, and so, and like in lots of different industries and lots of different countries. And so I've just kind of seen and done a lot, but yeah. So within the cheese business, this my you know, my parents run a cheese manufacturing company that I've grown up in and worked in. Um, but like it's, it's still a little bit different than like even in the retail space, just because cheese is a food product and our baked cheese bars are also a food product. It's still different being like uh, a mainline center store snack versus a refrigerated dairy product or a food service bulk manufacturer. Um, yeah. You've just got to be a little cuter, a little more clever. Some people would consider that an outrageously crowded space. Some, you know, uh, some might. Uh, but by the way, your career sounds a lot like mine, a couple of failures, a, a, you know, one hit, one that went so-so. So I think every, uh, every serial entrepreneur could count a few of those. That's yeah. And like that, you know, I think most good entrepreneurs appreciate that, it, you know, it's not like it's fun to have your, your startup fail, but it's as long as you appreciate that it's a good learning experience and you actually carry forward lessons from mistakes you may have made it's valuable um yeah. and i i've been i've been lucky to have a very eclectic career including some time in 
corporate consulting, uh, starting businesses overseas. Like there's just a lot that goes into it, which again, for me, experience and having seen and done a lot of stuff, it's good preparation. So I know a lot of, a lot of folks who go up on Shark Tank, they've never done anything like it and they don't know what to expect. And I was just kind of like, yeah, what are, what are they going to do? They're going to ask questions about my business. Um, the only thing that caught me off guard that I should have known, like I should have thought about it was like, oh yeah, of course. Um, there's a lot of sort of like preening for the camera and that it's, it's a little bit different than a traditional investor pitch because they have their own brand and image to protect. Like, you know, they're, they're obviously incredibly accomplished business people, but within the context of the show, they're a character. They have a brand to, to protect and an image to convey. Um, and like just really early there, I think it got cut. There was like a little back and forth with Kevin and Lori that was just like, what the, like, what the hell are you guys talking? Oh, right. This is for TV. Okay. Just go with it. Oh yeah. I just stood there quietly until they were done, but it was just a little bit weird. <laughs> so I, I got to ask you, how in the hell did you do three and a half million in your first year? That is phenomenal. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, what do you attribute that to? I mean, I, you know, so just so you know, when you were on originally, I immediately ordered on Amazon. I'm like, that's really cool. I love it. It's healthy snack. Cheese is great. And, and I, I think they're fantastic. There's still some in my pantry I've reordered. Um, but how did you do three and a half million in year one? Uh, so a combination of good luck and good timing and some skill and you know, never apologize for good luck that my wife spotted the keto trend before it was the trend, like the diet fad. So when we launched, she was like, hey, we should try to pit, like position this and target keto dieters. And I actually kind of knew how the Amazon algorithm worked, not in like a technical sense of like, oh, I know the code, but I just kind of knew how you could use external marketing to drive traffic to Amazon, which would sort of multiply and amplify your organic search results. And so because I knew how to do that and she had the insight and wherewithal to spot keto, we were so early to the keto fad that we were one of the only games in town. And so like in our first year, we were Amazon's choice for keto snacks five or six times. Their algorithm just by experience knew, hey, if my customer likes low carb, keto, healthy snacks, just the cheese is a good item to show them as an organic search result. Uh, and then about halfway through the year, we started paying for you know, keyword ads and that was just like throwing gasoline on the fire. So part of it was we were early to the party. And so it was, hey, there's nobody else there. And then even when other people showed up, their system knew we were good business. So they kept, we kept showing up. And then even on top of that, I started paying for ads and it just kept you know, stacking, on, stacking and stacking into more success. So at time of air, you said your sales were already at 3.7 million. That was in uh, April last year. So I just have to ask, 
where you finished 2020 at? Well, so the, the time, the time uh, that 3.7 was when I taped in September of 2019. Oh, September uh, 19, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so, so 2020, we were, uh, we're gonna finish around 6.7 million. Um, you know, just kind of a, a very odd year for retail. Um, very happy that I had such a strong foundation on Amazon that like, you know, I don't, I, I have built my retail distribution and sales. And in some ways that's good because business development just went to nothing last year. Uh, you know, there's no more trade shows, buyer meetings are really difficult to get. And it's really difficult to get a new product into a store when the stores are just like, Hey, no, we're trying to double down on commodities um, and higher end healthy snacks aren't really a thing when people are just want comfort food, cheap potato chips and Cheetos and cheeses. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, st you know, again, we are massively lucky that we were still, we're still, we were still growing last year. Um, and like, you know, even in, even just holding flat would have been a huge success. Just surviving and not going bankrupt would have been a win. Right, um, right. So, I mean, like, I definitely do not take for granted that we're still, you know, slower than I'd like. But certainly, hey, it, it's, all, it's all house money at this point, given what went on last year. <laughs> no, no, no doubt about it. Uh, you've, you've actually shown some great year-over-year uh, growth it was interesting while you're up there uh, Mr. Wonderful was uh, first up with a an offer of uh, half a million and wanting to grab 20 cents uh, per per unit uh, royalty and I think if I recall you you took uh, you grabbed a uh, pad and <laughs> a pen from someone did the math and said well uh, based on that uh, Kevin, you'd, you'd be uh, pulling in $360,000 a year. <laughs> yep. And I, so the, the funniest thing for me, I, I just didn't want to screw up multiplication on national TV. And I, <laughs> I was just like, there's no way they're going to show this on TV. So I may as well just ask for a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> like, like there's, there's no way. And, you know, and then once I was up there, I could do a little bit of different math, but that got cut but like that was my main thought it's like look i can do the math i just don't want to botch it in, on national television i'm gonna be known as a guy that failed math class um <laughs> and then of course I, I i was so sure i was like there's no way that's gonna be on and of course it is and that's one of the things like people pull up all the time is like hey you're the guy that pulled out asked for a patent paper <laughs> god damn it <laughs> Well, that's exactly that's exactly you know I'm not I'm not a math whiz. That's exactly what I would do. So that's why I found that pretty endearing. It was interesting. Robert uh, went out first, and he hated Kevin's offer. And then uh, Daniel, Laurie, and Cuban followed. But then Cuban came back in with another uh, bite at the apple. He wanted to throw you half a million dollars for fifteen percent, and you said no deal. And then afterward, you said you were disappointed. But we always have to ask. Uh, were you disappointed? Are you disappointed now? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I always feel like when you're not that far apart 
it just sort of stinks not to get to a yes. It would have been really cool to work with Mark. I have no, like, you know, I have no idea what he's like to work with. Um, it's like a one part of the experience that's still a big question mark. Um, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but candidly, it's like, hey, I'm not sure what Mark Cuban really would have done to help in twenty twenty. Like, all right, Mark, you have if you have connections and wherewithal, and you have a good team. Like, I just I have no idea. Um, I was disappointed because especially at the time, there's no guarantee that you're going to get on TV. Um, and, you know, it always feels like if you get to a deal, you're more likely to get on TV. But at the same time, you know, doing my homework and watching lots of episodes before going on, the thing as, a, as an entrepreneur that just drove me insane was entrepreneurs not knowing their worth and not sort of standing their ground that it's like, look, I get it. It's TV. You're Mark Cuban. This would be so cool. But the, the math, like the actual valuation you're giving me is complete hot garbage. I can't say yes. Like on principle, I can't. Um, and because for me, I've got, you know, I got a team and I don't want, I don't want to value their efforts lightly. And that was kind of the rub. That's like, well, if I take a really bad valuation, I'm implicitly saying that I don't value all the hard work that my team has done and put into this. Um, just couldn't do it. My biggest regret is, I don't, I don't think he would have said yes, but for him, he made the comment of, you know, a few million dollars isn't worth it for him. So he's got to have it like, you know, he's got to have a big piece and what I should have at least floated was whether he would have taken a bigger piece at the lower, at the better valuation. I'm like, hey, you know, if you want 15%, then give me a million and a half bucks instead of a half a million for five. Again, I don't, I don't know this, but I would be, well, at least try to, a little bit of a paradigm shift to change the conversations. Like, well, if the valuation's not a big deal, then you just want a bigger piece of the pie we can figure something out. Yeah, oh, well. I think his I think his contention was, you know, whatever I give you, I'm only going to be able to make five times back. So I'm only going to be able to make two and a half million off of my five hundred thousand. Uh, he was saying if you if you had a fifty million dollar sale, and you know, you're you're one of the few where. You know, I, I was just thinking, like, good for you. You shouldn't have taken that deal. So I, I, I think you absolutely did the right thing. And I think 2020's probably proven that out. And I'm assuming you feel really good about your direction for 2021 as well. Yeah. Um, we've got some really, really good leads and that are likely to close going into some top three retailers. Um, we're sort of a, we're changing. We're, we're rolling out a new pack size uh, be, because we are a manufacturer. We also do private label, which sort of like as the baked cheese category has grown, just you know, we there's not a lot of companies out there that can make baked cheese. And while we do not private label our bars, just the capability to make the cheese, bake it, and pack it all under one roof has been very valuable.
So yeah, I got I got no real regrets. There's always sort of a, you know, man, it would have been cool to just talk shop with Mark or Kevin or Daniel or any of them. But it, you know, those sorts of things do not keep me up at night. Maybe there'll be a reunion show and I can grab a beer. <laughs> did you uh, did you get pretty uh, hit hard, slammed with uh, orders those first 24, 48 hours after the show aired? Oh, yeah. Um, we, I think the, so the beautiful thing was, again, we had the supply chain sort of set and ready to go into Amazon. Like we were, we already had a lot in the system. We had shipped two truckloads the week before just to make sure we could handle a giant spike. Uh, and we still actually sold out for about 24 hours, the sun, the Sunday into Monday. So we sold about. 14,000 boxes of product between airing on Friday night and when we sold out on Sunday night. And I like, when I mean sold out, I mean every single item we had on Amazon was at zero. Um, we, for about, for, for about 10 hours, we were the number one, number six, and number nine item on all of Amazon grocery. That's fantastic. Yeah. I was just like trying to get screenshots of it. Like, oh my God, this will never happen again. This is so cool. I remember that feeling. There's been a time or two uh, in publishing books where I was able to catch that screenshot of number one or trending at number one. And it's a great feeling. Um, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, uh, Tom, you had a question. I think I might've cut you off. I apologize. No, you didn't. Go ahead. Um, with, with regard to this year, as you recalibrate, as we hopefully have some kind of a, a reset uh, after uh, this last uh, uh, year, a very challenging business environment, what are you really focused on inside the business? Whew, a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, there's sort of a, the first half of this year is going to be really really it's still going to be difficult to do business development um just because there's still so much uncertainty especially geographically around hey trying to think about penetrating Safeway northern california is really kind of difficult if northern california is still under lockdown um you know there's the category review schedules are still kind of up in the air buyers still aren't sure how they want to make their sets uh and the big the big corporate chains, Kroger's, Albertsons of the world, have really long lead times between category review and placement. So just trying to juggle all of that to make sure, hey, don't rest on your laurels. Don't just take a break now because it actually could linger and cost you in 2022. Um, but it's a challenge because there's still just it feels like everything is dead and no one's answering their phone or their emails. Um, so the focus is still trying to grow, but also doing it in a way that doesn't jeopardize the fundamentals of the business. Um, you know, don't, don't go crazy. And the nice thing about not having outside investors is I don't have any sort of artificial growth targets. It's, 
it's my family's business and we get to sort of take the long view that, oh man, I need to get this, this level of revenue to make sure I have a three and a half X multiple possibility after three years. So in five, that stuff I don't have to worry about. It's a get the sale, get the product, um, do it well, execute, make a good product, and don't do anything dumb. And it's a very relieving feeling that I don't have to worry about what are my investors going to think. It's, no, your business is profitable. Don't do anything stupid. Then have fun. It's a good place. It's a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, without um, investors and stakeholders to have to pander to and cater to, you're able to lay your head on your pillow at night and rest a little easier. Yeah, and it, it, it's always an interesting thing because sometimes investors can be a really good. I don't want to say motivator, but. Some entrepreneurs just get like a little too casual and a little too comfortable and don't, don't look out into the future enough. Um, but it also sucks when they have different timelines or different goals and you just never know what's in a shareholder agreement. So, hey, if you sign a deal with an investor who wants to get out in five years and then COVID happens, you would hope that your investor understands and you know this is going to change things and you got to survive but not all of them are like that and i'm not saying that the sharks are, would have been like that i have absolutely no idea but it's just it is nice to just say hey we're going to we're going to be fine there's no rush just be smart and keep going yeah we have seen when uh, entrepreneurs have um, attached themselves to investors that aren't the right investors that misalignment uh, with uh, with where they want to go and when they want to get there uh, can be critical. So yeah, good for you. I love, I made a note on that. Taking the long view uh, is absolutely what you need to do for that business. And we, we hear this so often, people get caught up in these artificial growth targets that, that force them to make sometimes some really bad decisions uh, or some short-term decisions that just don't serve the business, the people working in the business. It, it just becomes uh, really, really icky when that happens inside of a business. For sure. I like this. It's different strokes for different folks and everybody's di business is set up differently. Um, but especially in like retail grocery, there's a lot of hidden costs and just a lot of stuff that can come back to bite you if you're not careful. Um, yeah, there's just, there's lots and lots of, like for example, a chain out West offered me, uh, asked if I wanted to be in their, their, their check stand display, but it comes with a pretty, pretty high slotting fee. And I just sort of did the back of the envelope math. I was like, no, it's terrible use of money. There's no way you're going to have enough people coming in the store and picking up product. No. Um, but if I had to, you know, hit revenue targets and just get top line, okay, well, maybe I have to consider this. 
any other, you know, as we wrap up, any other lessons, you know, that you've learned throughout this process or just really your entrepreneurial in general, uh, journey in general, that you want to share for the, the entrepreneurs that are listening to this? Learn from your mistakes. Um, it sucks when you screw up, but it's going to happen. And like, you know, if an entrepreneur tells you that they've never screwed up or they've never made a bad decision, they're just lying to you. Um, it's embarrassing to admit when you, when you screw up, but the sooner you admit it, the sooner you can figure out why it happened and you won't, you probably won't do it again. Um, you know, it's reasonable life advice, but it's also good business advice. Yeah, the, only other thing I, the only other thing I can think of is the advice my dad gave me which is run your business. And it gets back to our conversation earlier. Run your business like you're going to run it forever. Which is essentially the same way of like, hey, take the long view. Don't make short-term decisions. And like, you'll probably be fine. Because if your worst case scenario is that 15 years from now, you didn't sell your business for a five multiple, but you have a steady, profitable business, that's, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> So it's one of those good problems. We talked to an entrepreneur the other day, David, who said, I've got an 80-year business plan. I don't think I'm going to live another 80 years, but if I do, I have an 80-year business plan. So that's the ultimate long view. Yes, it is. So where can, uh, where's the best place for people to buy um, just the cheese snack bars number one and number two where can people follow you on social media if they want to follow along with your journey so amazon's the easiest just that way i don't have to figure out like well what state are you in and where is this like amazon's the easiest just search just the cheese we're the one with you know, like eleven thousand customer reviews um that's the easiest shout out to heb in texas okay you gotta get listers in texas um and then social media, we are uh, at CrunchyJTC on Instagram. And then if people want to follow my random ramblings on Twitter, it's at David Sharfman. But that's only if your listeners are really, really bored or they're big Green Bay Packer fans. <laughs> well, you know, we uh, the way I see it, uh, David anyone listening has only two options. They can either go make a grilled cheese sandwich right now, throw the grilled cheese sandwich away, scrape the uh, cheese, the fried cheese off the plate and eat it, or they could go to Amazon and get a case of just the cheese product. I, I recommend the second option. Yeah, far be it for me to tell anybody what to do, but you know, <laughs> I, think the, I think the decision's pretty clear. Well, thank you for being on Outside the Tank. You are an awesome dude, great business, and it makes us so happy to hear that you are absolutely crushing it. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you guys taking the time and humoring some random thoughts from a guy driving home from work. <laughs> and uh, we will uh, we'll root for the pack. We'll have another shot next year, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get. I don't want to talk about it now. <laughs> All right, Joe, we're back. I'm, you ate the first bar. I'm going to eat the second bar. You know why? 
Why? I'm actually really hungry. <laughs> Don't you dare. That's the quickest I've, I've never, ever seen you move. I've, I've never fought you for food before, but... Um, no, typically, you eat food off my plate. <laughs> we, I mean, you know... I do do that once in a while. We'll go out to lunch, I'll yeah. have a side of fries, and he'll just start picking off my plate. <laughs> right? <laughs> If you were picked off by plane, I bet you have. I have because yeah. you did it to me, so I said oh, I'm so going to do it to I you. I did it first. Okay. Yes. Well, no, I feel comfortable. Like if someone has food, I figure they want to share it with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not every meal's family style. Like, oh, okay. Because sometimes people order their All own. Right. Well, I'll, I'll let you. While you eat that piece, I'm going to yes. throw. I've got one really big thing. As I was listening to this guy, this great entrepreneur, it he impressed me as a very long-term thinker someone who and it really came through and i it just hit me like a ton of bricks and he's a long-term thinker and he he said something he said you know i i I like to run the business i think everyone should run their business like they're gonna own it forever or run it forever now that may not be the case he may uh there may be a merger acquisition he may pass it on it could be a legacy business for uh his children but he has that kind of thinking, and when you get into that mindset, Tom, it, it, it's very found, it's what I call foundational thinking, and it forces you to do the things that build a very, very strong infrastructure that causes a, a business to sustain years and years and grow year after year. So that, I, I just, I really loved his, his long view of the business. Agreed. Um, yeah, he talked about his previous failures, and it happens to all of us. And I, I think sometimes we forget, you know, because everybody talks about successes. No, I got on Shark Tank and this and that. Trust me, every entrepreneur we've talked to has dealt with adversity and failure. So some of them admit it, some of them don't. But, you know, you're, you're going to fail. It happens. Um, he said he made the right call. You know, and sometimes no is the right answer. Sometimes not taking a deal is the right answer. Uh, he didn't want to let his team down by, you know, taking a lower value in the company. So, you know, if he would have done a deal, it would have said, hey, the company's actually not worth what we thought it was worth and we believe it's worth. It's worth less. And so he, he stuck to that. Um, you know, he talked about the value of not having to worry about venture capital money, private equity money. Uh, you know, not always is that the right path. And right. it does certainly present some challenges and issues. Um, you know, he talked about how investors must be aligned with your interest. No different than partners, right? If you have different partners in the vi- business with different visions or you have different investors and an investor says, well, no, we're going in this direction. Well, you may not want to go in that direction. You have to be aligned. Um, and this is someone that's learned from his mistakes. And I think that's so critical. You're, you're allowed to make a lot of mistakes as an entrepreneur. You know, you can build an incredible business and make a ton of mistakes along the way, but you have to learn from those mistakes and correct those mistakes. Now, if you're making the same mistake daily, you know, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. But, you know, you, you're constantly going to have misses and mistakes and discover things that you're not doing well. Oh, just another mistake, just another thing we were doing wrong, no big deal. But let's immediately fix it, learn from it, and not make that mistake again. And that's so important. When you're when you're running fast, you are going to stumble, you are going to fall, but you're falling forward, you're stumbling forward, and that's really the key. Yep. Well, love the product. Really good. Yeah, really, really healthy. I mean, like the uh, really strong taste. I mean, it's a, it packs quite a punch. Uh, we love it. David's an awesome entrepreneur, really building one heck of a business. Yes, sir. And uh, appreciate him being on the show. Appreciate all of you listening. 
And we will see you next week on an all-new episode of Outside, Outside the, the Tank. tank. I like the way I do it better. I don't know. It, it, in tandem, it's kind of weird. I'm going to let it you is. do it. Yeah, I don't like yeah. that. Stop I'm not going to do that. it anymore. Yeah. Thank you.